Welcome to a bonus episode that we never wanted to have of COVID Campus. I'm Laura Pasquini. I'm hosting or emceeing to bring a few of my favorite podcast hosts from higher ed around a digital table to have a conversation about what's going on with the coronavirus and shutdown of institutions or colleges and universities in higher ed um, around the U.S. And I thought there were good representation. So I'm going to pass the pod mic to each of them to introduce themselves. Um, I'll get started with Patrice, who is a co-host with me for In Vino Fab Pod, and she's going to talk a little bit about what's going on in her world at her institution. Hi, Patrice. Hi, <clears throat> Patrice Tresavia Prosco. I'm the Associate Director of Learning Design at Harvard School of Education. Uh, so I'm speaking specifically to what we're doing for the graduate students, and you know, for us, like everyone else, the sudden switch to online was somewhat jolting to everyone. And we are focusing on several different stages of continuity of learning with stage one, just um, getting everybody comfortable with the technology. So in order to do that, we've set up um, several different workshops. We have workshops, um, which are getting comfortable with Zoom, learning how to use Zoom. And then we also have set up some practice sessions for faculty where they can actually jump on and practice some of the moves that they're interested in using. And we are also training what we're calling co-pilots. Those are people that will attend the first session that faculty are holding in order to provide some support. But we've also uh, been focusing on student support as well. And we, are, we have some student workers who are holding workshops to uh, help out students who are maybe a little, you know, would also like that opportunity to practice or have some questions about how to use Zoom, what it'll be like to be in breakout rooms. And we are also looking at having like some open lounges and things like that for both faculty and students, right? Because there's so much to think about beyond the continuity of learning um, with respect to just community um, events that they would have attended if they were here, you know, and how, what, what can we do once we kind of get the learning in place to still give them that as much as possible that experience. Thanks, Patrice. We'll talk a little bit um, about some tools she mentioned, Zoom. We aren't sponsored by anyone, so we're just going to say it's a web conference platform if you don't know and you're listening and you've grabbed this. And we'll share about some other um, platforms and things you could consider because there's loads out there. I'm going to now toss the mic over to Bonnie. She is the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast host. So hi, Bonnie. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in your world. Sure. In addition to hosting Teaching in Higher Ed, which that community has brought a lot of information a lot of humor, which I really have needed, and a lot of encouragement. But in addition to that, I'm the Dean of Teaching and Learning at Vanguard University, which is in Southern California and is a small private school. I'm almost reluctant to say anything of specific about what's happening in the sense of lots of decisions are about to be made and some major ones already have been. I have been intrigued by just thinking about David White's model of residents versus visitors which would be, Laura, a good thing to link to for people who may not be familiar with it. But instead of thinking about people's capacity to move and collaborate online as an age thing, that's not particularly helpful in this particular pandemic response, but also not helpful just in general in education. But I've been just observing and seeing those of us that are already equipped and we just flex back and forth throughout the day without really sometimes even thinking about it to others that really have a reluctance. I have heard on 
uh, another campus, <coughs> another one nearby mine, very, very close to mine, people saying things like, you can't teach math online. And of course, I get sad by that. And I want to say, oh, there's so many great people I could introduce you to. But I really about the strength or that instrument, they have a strength that's called input. And I used to think that meant getting a lot of people's input, but it's actually not. It's more, it reminds me a lot of just making sense of things, that sense-making process. And of course, Laura, you do this a lot as well in terms of curating things, organizing it for other people to make it accessible. But those of us that do that really well have just been proliferating across the internet, across social media. And it could easily get really overwhelming for people with just all these different resources and, you know, where do I get started? And so I'm trying to add a little bit uh, at bay, a little bit, and, and just where it is, which is the best description teaching. So I'm so glad we can get together for this conversation today. And I'm already taking notes from what Patrice said, and I'm sure that's going to continue. Thanks, Bonnie. So also with us to podcast is uh, another co-host. I have a problem of a break drink. It's Jeff Jackson. He's going to talk a little bit about what's going on in his neck of the woods in Texas. Yeah, Laura. Uh, hey, uh, um, I'm Jeff Jackson. And as Laura introduces everyone, I think she's really a professional podcaster, has a, a part-time, full-time job at Amazon now. So it supports her addiction of podcasting. So so thanks for including me and with this uh, fantastic panel. So I work at a different type of campus. I work for a, a medical school. I'm, I'm in San Antonio. We have had a lot of the uh, people on cruises um, moved here when they come back to the States at one of our military facilities. So it has been present in town for a good while, but it's, they've been very isolated and quarantined until they underwent all their testing. So it's really been on our radar as far as it, we're, we're, it didn't necessarily catch us by surprise totally. So we've been thinking about this for a little bit. But I remember uh, two weeks ago, sorry, I remember a week ago thinking we're probably two weeks away from going online and now we're going online tomorrow. We Something we had to do based on our clinical schedules and our faculty, we had to go online immediately. And we kind of been, we've, we're planning for a week to do it. We did the book of the work in the last 48 hours, last couple of days of the, of the week. So we, our students take one class at a time. So it's a little bit different that they take one class for four weeks, another class for four weeks. So we have two main classes left. And this is our preclinical students. Our clinical students, that's a whole another thing, which you may get into later if there's uh, questions about that. But what we are trying to do is trying to maintain a lot of what they would get in an online environment by using a lot of the web tools that we have, meaning that we have a lot of team-based learning and case-based learning. And how can we best simulate that? And they're not just going to watch like a online lecture to try to do that. So our tools that our campus had provided for us was a WebEx that had a seat limitation. Also, we're, where y'all are dealing with like, scale of large classes um, like several classes and many faculty we have a lot of students for one class so we have 200 students the seat capacity we had for the webex would not allow us to to do that for our for our students so we so we have like 220 for this this class so we're using microsoft teams and what we're doing also is because for accessibility issues, we record all of our lectures in any way and provide them online. Because when medical school goes pretty fast and some people need to be able to 
slow it down, do back in review. So our lectures are already recorded. And it so happens the class that starts Monday, the schedule didn't really change from last year to this year. So we're able to provide a lot of those lectures online over the weekend for students to start reviewing. The times that would have been in that lecture time period starting tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock is going to be like an open office hours using uh, Microsoft Teams tool. I don't know if like five people are going to show up, if 50 or 100, I don't know how many people are going to show up during that time period. So we're kind of, we have a schedule of doing this for the week. We also know that it could totally blow up on day one. So we're confident to know they're going to get the material um, provided to them, the same quality as we have for this, this course. We want to provide an opportunity to ask questions to the faculty. We hope this will do that. We also are, we always had message boards. They don't really use them. We think they'll use them this time, making sure our course directors are monitoring those, those message boards. The team tool also allows the students to collaborate amongst themselves for their, their uh, cases they have to do. The difference is we're not involved in the room with them like normal when they're doing this team base and they're, they have to go and do it on their own. Some take leadership of that. So that's kind of where we are now. Tomorrow, I could have a completely different story. We'll see how it goes day one. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, you're not the only one thinking about it. It was great. Bonnie shared a good resource that I'll put in the notes. It's the remote teaching office hours you just mentioned is um, this engineering school actually at uh, Engineering Computing and Education Core at the University of Nebraska have office hours like you're doing through Discord, Zoom. Um, they're going to try out digital workshops. So I'll put a link to that because I think you're right. We don't know uh, what capacity as everyone tries to go onto similar platforms, it sounds like, um, what's going to happen with capacity, broadband and whatnot. So thank you for sharing that um, because you're right, schools have closed. I, I'm in the state of Washington and our governor shut everything down. Um, Massachusetts closed all the schools for three weeks. So we've got three weeks of mass. I've got until the end of April in Washington and more. So I appreciate you sharing how you're testing it out and seeing how it goes for your team-based work. Last but not least, a uh, host of a number of podcasts. You may know her from uh, You Got This, Coach to Coach, uh, Research in Action Formally. I don't know, she's probably developing a podcast right now because she's isolated at home, but Katie Linder, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Laura. Hey, everyone. Um, so I am the Executive Director for Program Development at Kansas State University Global Campus. Um, this past week was my sixth week on the job. And uh, we've been really pulling together a lot of resources on a Keep Teaching website, like I think many institutions have been. And we also started a, a Mighty Networks community called Keep Teaching Resources for Higher Ed. And um, that community is now over 900 people uh, from all over institutions. There's faculty in there, there's educational developers, there's um, some folks in student affairs and you know, various other places. And we're really trying to organize that community both topically and in groups um, because there's just so much content flying around and especially like academic Twitter. And it's, it's really hard, I think, to kind of curate, as Moni was saying, to curate some of those materials in a way that other people can really find them to be useful. So we are moderating that community um, and it's growing every day, which is really fun to see and people are really helpful and supportive in there. Um, as of today, actually, as we record this, it's a Sunday, uh, the 15th of March, we were told to, we're basically going fully remote on our campus, um, employees and students. We had taken, um, this past week was actually our spring break, and this coming week we're, we're extending the spring break to offer some training opportunities for our faculty. So the unit that I lead um, is taking a big role in that. We have 35 trainings over the next five days that we'll be offering on a range of different tools 
and um, really just trying to meet people where they're at because we have some faculty who are, feel very experienced with online. Um, over 700 of our faculty have taught online in the last couple of years, but we also have some folks who've never done it and are feeling a little bit nervous about it. And so there's that kind of wide spectrum of experience that we're trying to support and respond to. But it's interesting because, you know, every day, as you all know, it's changing and the information that we have is shifting kind of under our feet. So being responsive and trying to be as supportive as possible in the midst of kind of our own stresses and, and dealing with the situation, I think it's a new experience for many of us. Thanks, Katie. And I will say, I, I read something you tweeted the other day and Bonnie reshared today was having a shared purpose for your work it gives you a lot of meaning. And the biggest thing that in that tweet you said was talking about humanity. Um, so I want to start with a question of how you are taking care of yourself, your teams at work, and whatnot, because it's not just about putting learning online. It's about moving to a remote workspace, being distance uh, when you're probably not used to it for many people. Many people go to a physical college or university campus. Um, some have tech know-how, but let's drop the tech and what are we doing to attend to, I guess, emotional needs, uh, personal wellness, uh, health, wellness, mental health, being emotional. Um, so whoever would like to jump in first, um, I'll give you the floor. Sure, I'll, I'll start. I, I think, one, it's, it's really hard. And I noticed that our team and everyone is working, and everyone I talk to is working 12, 15-hour days on Slack. Um, and I've been trying really hard to disconnect, go for walks. And I think it's really important in light of all this, you know, one of our greatest concerns for all of us it, as we are doing this planning is planning for the fact that we know some of our staff and faculty and students, et cetera, um, are going to get sick themselves or, you know, of course not be able to care because of school closures and whatnot. So as hard as it is, I've been trying really hard to get a solid night's sleep, which it can be hard to shut off. But I was going to share that I, I listen, I use an app called um, Calm, which for whatever reason, and I've heard others say this, if I listen to a sleep time story on that, I'm asleep in like five minutes. But my daughter just shared with me also an app called 10percent.com that I think is also running some sort of meditation special during this during this time. So I, I would strongly encourage whatever app you have, meditation, whatever you need to do to turn off at night, because I think that's really hard for a lot of In terms of taking care of myself, there are similar things to what Patrice mentioned. It's really important for me to be getting exercise so I can keep my immune system up. Important to try to get the sleep, but also not put a ton of pressure on myself. If I'm not sleeping well, then I'm not sleeping well. And so taking advantage of this, at least this weekend as of our recording, to get short naps in or at least to lay down for a little while and just let my body try to relax. And then thinking about the food that I'm putting into my body. The other thing I've been thinking about a lot, and my husband Dave and I talk about a lot, is that it's a very natural, normal human reaction that when something like this is happening, 
everything just starts to feel so out of our control. We can't control those other people who, as of this Sunday evening recording, are still going to bars and partying it up and, and not, taking, not taking on the risk seriously that they are not only taking on personally, but on behalf of other people. We can't control all of that. We can't control what happens in terms of decisions of the various governmental agencies and, and leaders, etc. But our little human brains still want to control something. So we recognize that we're finding ourselves wanting to control little teeny, teeny, tiny things, just to take, you know, some control of our little worlds and that that's a very normal human reaction. And I say, just lean right into that. So if you, this, <laughs> this morning, we all put socks on our hands, at least the kids and I put socks on our hands and we cleaned the part of our stairwell that's not carpeted, that has a little bit of wood Thing on it. So we, we dusted. I mean, who's, who's dusting right now? But, but that's just a little bit of trying to gain some normalcy and being okay with the fact that our human brains want to control these little things. And in terms of taking care of teams, you said it very well, Laura. I'm thinking both in terms of taking care of the technical needs and also taking care of that emotional wellness and that they'll be going through their own series of normal human reactions as well. When it comes to my own style, I'm finding myself flexing much more toward a very direct style of leadership, which is actually, I'm a very direct person as it is, but in a university environment of all my years that I've been here, I find that I have to temper that sometimes. That's not always welcomed. So now I'm just full board, like, you know, that's, that's what people are looking to. And, and, and I do find actually people are responding well to people I have not worked with closely before are taking just some confidence because when you are in a heightened sense of, of a chaos and of emergency, then the experts get to come and say, you know, this, we, I think we should set up a team site. I think we need to have tasks. And as the emails are coming in from parents and from other stakeholders and the students themselves and other caregivers, we're not responding to them well because they're caught 20 people on it and nobody knows who has the ball. So setting up these technological systems that will all help us track those things. But again, I'm being much more direct than I normally would of, what does anybody think about this? And instead, it's just like, let's set this up, let's do this, and then it, it's all um, going well. But I'm, I'm, I will tell you one last thing, and then I would love to hear what the others have to say, and that is just um, practicing gratitude. And back to those little teeny, teeny, tiny things that maybe we haven't noticed before that this opportunity lets us notice. And it might be things about our home or things about our neighborhood or about our family. And, and those are just opportunities to do that, which is all part of taking good care of ourselves and also taking good care of each other. So I'm along the lines of Patrice that I, on the weekends, I love to spend as much time outside as possible. We try to go camping a lot. We try to go hiking a lot. So we utilize our Texas State Parks Pass a lot in the this time of year because in the summer it gets too hot to do that. So we did not go to the parks this weekend, but we spent a, a good amount of time outside. We you know planted our tomato plants in the ground and worked on our seeds and worked in the yard and just had fun playing in the backyard and watched the dogs and all those things we could do to get outside. We went to a walk through our neighborhood and it was really weird because you always see other people out, you see cars out, and there was just we were kind of the only ones out. It was. It was like it was like kind of when you go out on like a holiday day and nothing's no stores are open. That's what it felt like today. The stores are open, some stores are open, but no one was there except for the grocery store. But it was so it's kind of a surreal experience. The the few times I did have to get out to to, do, to run some errands, but 
we try to spend as much time outside as a family as possible. And I would say our house is cleaner now than it has been in months, uh, being here and making sure everything is clean and scrubbed down and with the uh, opportunity here. But uh, that's what's keeping me insane so far. And, and, and for just when our school shut down, our office was really great about being sensitive to parents or single parents or, you know, people who don't have the ability to have paid childcare to be able to get them into working from home faster than those of us who can still, still be in the office. So I'll maybe go in the office probably one more day this, this week before they probably shut us, us down too. But, um, prioritizing those that really have to have that childcare needs first. I would say that, um, for me, anyone who kind of follows me in other spaces knows that I'm an introvert's introvert. And so I feel like I've been practicing my whole life for this whole situation of being stuck in my home for a couple of weeks at least. And it was helpful for me, you know, last week to go to the store with my partner to make sure we had what we needed. Um, if we, if we did indeed need to stay home. Um, but self-care right now for me looks like reading novels and trying to turn my brain off a little bit when I need to, just to give it a break and definitely getting some rest. Um, like Patrice and others have mentioned, it, it can be hard to just kind of turn your brain off at the end of the day and get a full night's sleep. And we all know how important that is for our immune systems and just being, you know, in the, in the best place we can be because we're providing a lot of support to other people. I would also say that one form of self-care for me this week was really relaxing some of my routines um, and just letting me, myself kind of go with the flow a lot more in terms of just what was being asked of me, what, what felt good to me at the time, um, and not kind of pushing too hard um, to keep anything, you know, up. Um, I am still doing a workout routine and things like that, but some of the other things, you know, that ideally would be happening, it's just a little too difficult to do um, when you have kind of meetings coming up at the last minute and you're you're trying to do a lot of things at once. So I think I'm really looking forward to, like many of the introverts among us, being away from some of the meetings in the campus life and just having, you know, a little bit of a breather, especially after these last couple of weeks that have been pretty tough um, in terms of lots of sudden meetings, um, large groups, and now that we're going into virtual remote mode, I think we have a lot more control over our environments. I think all of you have said great things. Um, my just quick self-care is, you know what, Jeff, can you tell your Texans to tell Washingtonians to stay inside because the streets were not vacant and they should be because I'm from the epicenter in, in the U.S. Um, but a lot of people are out walking, um, walking dogs, running, and I just get out to run and that's kind of what my go-to has been. Um, I will say we have in this um, quick impromptu let's meet the podcast we asked a bunch of uh, people to put out questions and i will say thank you vera rossi to put out a lot of questions um but we're gonna i I wanted to ask one because uh it combines two of her questions which was um thinking about moving to remote teaching and moving things digitally or online what really she asked is um how do you make sure that things are accessible and it's not excluding anyone from learning. And that also could go excluding people from working, which a few of you have already touched on, or access to um, how they support students, um, teaching, learning, all the above. And I don't know um, if you want to jump in there, anyone, please feel free. Mine's pretty fast for this. Uh, Using Microsoft Teams, it does have the ability for an individual to put closed captioning on the screen. We're a little bit worried about it because the medical terminology may not uh, capture very well. 
it does okay for a lot of that. And that's something that doesn't get recorded into the, the video file that we'll do, but it does take it to the screen live. We do have accommodations for a few students who do have some hearing disabilities and we have a closed caption. We've already coordinated with the, the person, the organization who does closed captioning for that and have that ready to go. So one of the things that we've been sharing with faculty, and again, as Laura said, not promoting um, any specific tools, but PowerPoint does have a live captioning option. So if you have a PowerPoint up, um, it will actually live caption, and I've seen it. It works, it works pretty well. And just a couple of Zoom tips for people that are maybe new to it. Um, when you go into your Zoom settings under uh, recording, there is an option to automatically record transcript so that when you when you record your session and then share it, it actually has a timed, you know, time transcript side by side that is is pretty awesome considering it's, you know, again, free. And Zoom also has an option where you can assign somebody to do closed captions. And so I would imagine if you know somebody in your course needs that feature, they would go to the student services, student accessibility um, office and ask for somebody to join that Zoom session. And then they can actually type in, there's a special box, they type the live captions in throughout the session. And again, when you record the, when you record the session, those captions are automatically saved. So I think those are a few, a few nice features that I would just like to highlight. So we're looking at not just accommodations, but really access. And one of the things that's going to come up in both of those areas is going to come up around deadlines. This is the time for people to throw out all sense of having really strict deadlines in our classes and offering the kind of radical flexibility that this, this point in time is really begging for. So really thinking about deadlines. I've seen on Twitter lots of mentions uh, about trusting our students, and there were some questions about what if they cheat, and this is not the time for us to be thinking about what if they cheat. Yes, they might cheat. Yes, there are better ways to assess learning than some of the ways that we currently do it. And some of the ways we currently do it really actually encourages cheating. And so this is just a, this is a time for radical flexibility. And I know that actually a lot of institutions are flipping over to pass, no pass. I understand MIT did that, but there are a bunch of others that are going that route as well. Something that I actually want to learn more about too of different options based on where the academic leadership is confident enough to go at this point. There's so much to think through, but one of the things I would just recommend, really rethink those deadlines. That's a good point. I'm just going to jump in to say, I will say, uh, Slam Teacher, Sean Michael Morris put out a pivot to online a student guide. And in that, it was advice to students who are going to hop, have to hop online because they will have to think about um, supports, needs, um, advocacy, and self. So I'll put a link to that as well. And then I know that Josh Eiler and Jesse Stonewoven talked about that past grade, and this is the time to think about how do we get through this semester term um, to the end, uh, whether you're in quarters or semester system, uh, what can we do to help people get recognition for the work they're doing and move through a course? Katie, what are you thinking? I would just add that there are so many professionals on our campuses that think about this stuff day 
in and day out, whether it's our, our Center for Teaching and Learning staff or it's our professionals who are working in like student access services or student disability services. And I think that we should rely on those folks just like we have in the past to ask, you know, what are the specific accommodations that we need to provide? What are their recommendations for how we should shift things? And I completely agree with Bonnie that this is a time for radical flexibility and just understanding that we are not going to be able to do everything just the way we did face-to-face, that this is an approximation. And on our campus, we've also been using a little bit of the metaphor of like, this is a lifeboat model. You know, like this, we're just trying to kind of get from point A to point B in the term, you know, in a pretty drastic situation that none of us were expecting. So we're not necessarily encouraging 100% best practices of online learning because in many ways, this is remote learning. And, and we're not even asking faculty to go fully online if that's not what they want to do, because there's such a spectrum of what the possibilities are. So I think really relying on the people on your campus who have really thought through some of these ideas and knowing that you really don't have to go it alone. Like there is somebody who can partner with you to help you figure out what the best options are for your students. That's great advice, Katie. And I think Tom, Thomas Tobin actually said that there's a worldwide of guides and reading to upskill. And I've put together some stuff myself, but you're, you're right. You could find someone on your campus, find someone that you know locally or in your network that could help you because they can give you some simple how-tos. And it, it may not be using any streaming sort of services, video, audio recording at all. It might just be coming up with really good Word documents with headers and or PowerPoints that are accessible. Um, and you're just going to teach differently because online could be like a digital correspondence class at this point. It doesn't have to be um, all the tools and whistles of what we dream and hope and believe a digital and online learning looks like, but it's going to get that information to them. So thanks for pointing that out, Katie. Um, Office for Disabilities, Accessibility, Teaching and Learning Services, Instructional Design Shops. Um, Who else could help you at your campus? I had posted earlier, Lauren, I know you'll be adding this one to the show notes, or at least it's already in your compiled documents, are a lot of resources from our libraries. And there was a, one that I came across that's just fantastic, but I've come across from a whole bunch of them. And I'm so appreciating our librarians today for what you're doing for our campuses as well. Oh, librarians, they're my favorite. Um, you're right. And uh, the other kind of question is, and it was brought up in the care section, and I think Patrice had mentioned this as well, was what happens if your own staff, faculty get ill? How do you replace? How do you interact? Because this is kind of like the evolving things are happening at this time. So are there any other contingency plans, um, not just for continued instruction, but support, um, how they can reach out? Do you have any kind of like call a lifeline or calling tree that you have within your teams, your groups, or things you're thinking about now that like you'd like to implement? We do have a call tree within our organization that we've already implemented just as we've been thinking through some of the the things that are announcements that are happening, especially coming out over the weekend and what it means for this coming week. But I also think one of the things we've been encouraging is a buddy system among our faculty that they have someone who also has access to their course if they're using our Canvas learning management system um, or that they have, you know, um, content that they're trying to develop farther than just kind of one week ahead in case they do fall ill and they feel like they can't continue with their courses. So this is something we're starting to kind of think about in terms of backup plans. But I also think that this is a situation where we just can't plan for everything. And as a planner, like to my core, it's really hard for me to say that. Um, but I think that it's kind of tough um, to be in a situation where we really don't know what's going to be happening. And um, it is a little bit unprecedented for many of us. So we have to kind of wait it out and make decisions as we have good information. 
Um, I see Bonnie is asking in our, our Zoom chat if, to explain the call tree system. And, and basically what this is, is a very simple diagram within our organization where if something has to get out to all of the people within our organization, we don't just depend on email, but we call people individually and then they call people after them on the call tree. And it's a way of kind of spreading information throughout the organization in a way that we're actually talking to each other and we, we can share information and we can confirm that other people have learned certain information versus just trying to email something out. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I think, a little bit more of a personalized approach and one that I have not had in the past, but I really did appreciate it today when I could touch base with my staff and give them some information and make sure that everybody is processing that information and that they don't have any questions. We also have a, like a backup admin plan. So for our deans or senior level staff, or I guess executive directors, if they were to get ill, because we do work at a health science center, many of our deans are faculty are still, like my boss is OBGYN, she still does clinic once a week. So there's a possibility that they could become ill also. And if that's the case, you know, who's going to be the interim at the time that they need to be out. So we have that plan already in place. And the dean's office knows that the people in our office know that. So if something was to happen, who's going to be the person who's, who kind of steps into that role temporarily. And I think that's helpful to listen because we have staff and faculty here. So we're concerned about teaching and learning, but there's another piece of it that um, are you thinking about, you know, your uh, professional staff on your campus, um, student staff, uh, workers that you might have as well. How are they involved in that? Um, Patrice, you had a couple of suggestions earlier. I think, how are you thinking about that for your group? One of the things that we are thinking about just as we build out capacity is trying to keep in mind that, you know, if you look at the percentages in all likelihood, somebody's going to be become ill. So for example, if we have people designated to be co-pilot in someone's class, we should have like, who would be the on-call person if that person can't make it? So we are trying to do, trying to almost set up like an on-call system. Um, I, I'm not sure from a faculty standpoint, uh, you know, if leadership, you know, is, has any, um, like what they're planning for that right now. I have heard of some schools that are asking, um, their faculty to make sure that, you know, they set up documentation so that similar to what a lot of say fully online universities do, right. Set up documentation so that anyone could step in and teach your class, Record lectures ahead of time in case somebody needs to uh, needs to teach your class. They could play the lectures, um, but I think it is a delicate balance. And we not only can we like we don't have the capacity to plan for everything, and so it's a lot to ask faculty to both be thinking about and be under the pressure of like how do I transition into this new remote world? And wait, I also have to like prep all this documentation. So I think, yeah, we're all doing the best we can. Patrice, I think recording lectures ahead of time is helpful in multiple areas. You know, if you get sick or something happens, that's good also. But also, so you're not so reliant on on the web-based technology to work every time you want to give a lecture because 90% of America is going to be using Zoom tomorrow or WebEx or Cisco or whatever it is. And so if you already have it recorded, on a local server on your campus, students will still have access to that information regardless, independent of the technology. 
Yeah. And you said it right, Jeff. Like I'm concerned that everyone is shifting to these online spaces. And I, um, so I'm not on a campus now, as Jeff alluded, I work at a, a campus that shut down because of COVID-19 right here in Seattle, you know, the center of it, all the action. But I've been concerned about what will happen to our campuses. So I started curating a doc to list services and resources and ways that people can go remote. But I'm really concerned what's going to happen. I will say I listed about five or six different web services, but if everyone's going to jump to one or two or three of these, then what happens with their capacity? Because I can only imagine um, Monday is going to be a big test or this week's going to be a big test uh, coming up. So um, having just like notes and PowerPoint is okay, folks. Remote teaching is going to look a little scrappy and that's okay. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in. I think that that is a really important message that is hard for many of us to hear. Um, the what's good enough, you know, what, what, what's the minimum that we need to do to continue learning? And I agree 100%. I am really concerned about the fact that, you know, K through 12 and universities across the country essentially are shutting down. And if everyone is on Zoom, not only what's going to happen to like our Wi-Fi and um, access to Zoom, but what's going to happen to Netflix and Hulu? And what if I can't watch my shows? Priorities. I love it. Okay, that's good. Um, (laughs) Bonnie, do you have an answer for this? Go on. Oh, yeah. No, not about the Netflix one, but I was captivated by a post from Tannis Morgan at BC campus this week. And I I actually left the last part of the off of it when I was sending it to my faculty because I actually wanted them to read it and I thought they might not take it seriously. Here's the title Online Teaching with the Most Basic of Tools, Email. And the email was the part that I left out. Tannis, if you're not familiar with her, anyone listening, is a phenomenal educator. And I love the credibility that she brings. And then also just the simplicity of how she says, we, we can do this. You could actually teach via email. It's a wonderful post. And I'll be sharing it with Laura to add to the, to the, add to the show notes. I think it's one worth a read. I was also going to mention, Laura, when you were talking about just trying to handle all the stuff that's coming at us right now. If people don't already use a digital bookmarking tool, that would be something I would say can really be a lifesaver in these circumstances. So a digital bookmarking tool will allow you to save any website link and add tags to it. So I have my own tag now called coronavirus, but of course I'm tagging these articles with other categories as well so that in the future I'm not going to hopefully be searching as much on coronavirus, but in other contexts. So a digital bookmarking tool really helps. And then another tool that helps me is to have a someday maybe list. And that someday maybe list is when I want to go down a rabbit trail and say, oh my gosh, that sounds absolutely amazing. We can't do that right now. We can't even do that when life is operating normally. But having a place to capture those ideas and things can be really helpful. The two bookmarking tools that I recommend, the one I use is called Pinboard and that URL is pinboard.in. I like it for its simplicity. When you go to it, it just looks like a list of links and there's a tag cloud over on the right. Some people like to be able to use highlighting and annotation. So some people like the bookmarking tool called Digo. That's D-I-I-G-O. Digo to me is a little visually cluttered and I don't necessarily need the highlighting. If I want to do that kind of annotation, then I use the annotation tool called Hypothesis. 
All right. So you've already started this, Bonnie, but I'm going to go around the resources of other things you all are thinking about using um, and taking advantage of trying on. Um, I've started this uh, list of tools and I'll definitely link to like things we've already talked about because I definitely have to add to my list. Thanks, Bonnie. I have to do more work. It's great. Um, I will say some of these tools I try to organize by video creation or lecture cap capture. Uh, one of them I'll put out there that's transcriptions based. Um, so if you're looking to do some sort of short lecture, like I'm not talking about three hour tour on your lectures, but 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, you can go ahead and use a really great two plans. One is Descript and one is Otter and you can give audio and get automatic transcriptions. You get three hours per month with Descript. It's actually a podcast one that you could try out and Otter is 600 minutes per month for their basic and free plan. So that gives you pretty decent transcripts that you have to do a quick edit for. I'm going to use it for this podcast so you'll see what it looks like. And um, yeah, if you're looking for quick transcriptions for access, because some of your students, not only it's not an accessibility or compliance thing, some of them won't have access to download or they're using data. They don't have Wi-Fi and they're not connected. So you want them to be able to download a document quickly to read it instead of streaming your 10 to 20 minute mini lecture mini talk or how-to thing, um, have a transcript with resources for them to access. So that's my uh, resource tip. But uh, anyone else want to jump in and share something else that you can do quick and dirty, scrappy, remote teaching, learning support with? I really like the service Dropler, D-R-O-P-P-L-R. -P -P I think there's two P's in there. And that's a similar service that you described where I can quickly just record my screen or even do a screenshot and annotate it. And as soon as I stop recording, it's automatically in the cloud and ready for me to paste into an email or social or wherever it needs to go. I'm going to put another vote out there for email. I think one of the most important things that we can be doing with our students as we're transitioning courses into remote modalities is to just contact them and let them know we're working on it and be really clear about our expectations, how our syllabi might be changing, how deadlines might be changing, how assignments might be changing. And a lot of that can be communicated over email and we can let them know that we're thinking about them and we're in the process of getting things pulled together. And I, you know, I think we just don't want to create a communication vacuum where students don't know what's going on. They're confused. They have questions. You know, the more that we can be communicating with them and giving them updates on kind of where we are, I think that will help the situation, especially in the very immediate term. Yeah, and I want a second email, which is interesting. I think we've all been trying to shift away from email. But um, there's also a concern, right, of asking faculty and students to learn a lot of different tools. And so we are we're, we are trying to weigh like, you know, what are the different tools that could be added to the toolbox, but also streamlining it so that, you know, if you're in three different classes, you don't have to learn three different tools. And also, you know, we don't want to add to the, our, the already potential difficulty of people who are leaving campus and maybe going across the globe and might not be able to access a lot of these different tools depending upon where they're going back to. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything you want to add? I have nothing else clever or uh, useful to add. I think um, we are using our institution, the tools that they have provided for us and kind of making that work as much as possible. I just like what Katie said is to try to communicate uh, as much as possible. And I, I feel like in some ways as like I'm communicating to my students, like I would communicate with, learn to communicate with my children. Like don't promise things you can't deliver on and try to be upfront about the, 
you know, issues you're having and try to lead them in the direction you're, you know, try to try to lead them the proper way, but understand this is a fluid situation and things may be changing. So um, I just, whatever's going to help communicate best with your students, um, email your, you know, learning management system, whatever that could be, just make sure that's, that's being done often. I wanted to mention that I was very grateful for some tools that I had already set up because I concur with what everyone has said. Use the tools that you've already been using and our students and faculty are already familiar with. In this case, I had set up for the semester's class a remind instance so they could, I can send out text messages to them and then I have it set up so they can reply back just to me. I was inspired by a series of tweets from Angela Jenks, who is in anthropology at the University of California, Irvine. She, it looks like a Qualtrics survey must have been or a poll everywhere. I couldn't tell exactly, but some kind of a survey tool to her students asking what they were most worried about, where they felt their barriers were going to be. And that kind of personalized touch from teacher, professor to student, I think is really powerful. So I sent out a remind message, just letting the students know I'm thinking about them and asking how they were doing. And it was really revealing to see the kinds of things they're concerned about and raise some issues for me. You know, some of them are grieving because it's their last semester in college. And while our institution hasn't canceled graduation, dot, 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 yet, there are other institutions near us that are, and I suspect that's probably where we're headed. I didn't reply back with that answer just now, but, you know, I'm thinking realistically that is, you know, something to mourn when that wasn't quite what they thought their last semester of college was going to be like, not quite what they thought their graduation was going to be either. Bonnie, you make an excellent point, and I think that we underestimate um, email, you're right, but some of our students don't check email. So if you have any text options, and whatever you most use to send messages or announcements at your school, sometimes it's a banner on the front page to something in the learning management system, um, I will say that's helpful. Um, the doc that we're going to put to work and add to, because I have some homework to do after this, because uh, I promised to edit it into show notes, because I'm not on a campus having to figure out what's going to happen on the the weekday. So I want to say, Jeff mentioned Teams, Microsoft Teams, actually, um, that's what his campus is using. They said in light of COVID-19, you can access it for free for six months and it has web conferencing, collaborative tools, platforms. Also recently announced today, um, because access is the biggest point that I will say, I have students accessing by a phone or a tablet and they're using data or data, however you say it. Um, but telecom, Spectrum is going to offer free broadband and Wi-Fi internet access. I put a link in my link, uh, one of the top ones up there, a phone number you can call. So if you need to enroll and you have students uh, that you think that need access, because our students do need access to a lot of things. Uh, Wi-Fi is one of them. Shelter, Wi-Fi, food sometimes. Um, make sure they know this so they can start this. This deal starts on Monday, uh, March 16th. And so... This is not the answer to everything, my friends, um, but this is a start. Um, is there anything we want to leave our folks with uh, a solid piece of advice before we bid adieu? Um, maybe we'll gather again, but we'll let you know if we failed or succeeded in anything. Um, I would just like to say, you know, take a deep breath and know that we are all in this together. And I think one of the things that as happens in these situations is remarkable. It's just the amount of support across the our, all of our networks that are being provided and people that are sh freely sharing resources, offering advice, um, et cetera. So take advantage of that and reach out to any of us if you just need those few words of encouragement. 
I've been thinking a lot about the universal design for learning practice and principle called plus one. I was introduced to that by Tom Tobin. And that's just this, the idea that when you learn about things like UDL, it can be really exciting and you want to have the perfect UDL class and accomplish all of the practices that are recommended in that model. That's never going to work. <laughs> At least never, it's never worked in my world. Instead, we want to be thinking about plus one. So as we come across great resources like the ones that have been mentioned and will be linked to in this episode, just be thinking with that plus one mindset. And as I mentioned earlier, you can have your someday maybe list for things you'll get to that are great ideas for when this chaos isn't going on. Plus one, what's the one thing that I can do that will most serve my students? And I focus on that. And also, I love the breathing. Let's breathe. Lots of lots and lots of breathing. The tool that I've kept going back to and that I've been recommending to a lot of people is um, Pima Chodron's work and particularly her book, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times. I think that we're all kind of struggling with this in a lot of really different ways, some of them very personal. And this is a book that really talks about how, you know, the world and the universe is change and that can be very uncomfortable. Um, And how do we kind of create a situation for ourselves where we're not pushing against that change, but accepting it, accepting that there are things that are out of our control So we can drop a link to that in the show notes. But I think that, you know, kindness goes a long way in these situations, offering people grace and flexibility and patience, and really kind of connecting to that shared humanity of all being in a difficult situation at the same time. And how can we help each other through it? Uh, Katie, you totally used my words. I was was just going to say, be sure to offer yourself and others all the grace around you and forgive yourself. And things are probably going to go wrong. This is uh, um, an event unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and hopefully, won't have to deal with anything like this again. Um, But who knows? We'll be more prepared in the future if we are. And you know, one of the benefits I have is I work with infectious disease doctors, and it's been guaranteed to me that going outside is your friend, and just try to spend and you know go for walks, take a lap around the campus or or your house or your block or wherever it is that you happen to be. And just get some fresh air and just try to take moments to reset and come in and, um, and, you know, try it again. Well, I just want to thank you all. Um, I have a big heart for all my colleagues in higher ed and any way that we can support any of you anytime, let, let me know. I'm happy to take the burden of this on. Um, I've got some time uh, for all you all anytime. And I just want to say you all are right. Uh, We're going to, mess things up and we're going to figure things out and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to make it work. And that's what we do. Right. So thank you all for joining me today and maybe we'll come back again and uh, check in again. So I hope all of you, I wish you all well this week. Um, thinking about you and all my colleagues across uh, campuses in this country and other countries that are thinking about how to put themselves online for work, learning, teaching and support. So thank you for joining us.